All right, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Like I prayed, this is kind of a wrap-up. It's kind of a wrap-up chapter. I mean, it's not a long letter. Paul was very concerned for this church when Epaphras came to him and said that the people were getting sidetracked and they were starting to believe the, the words of this very um, powerful group coming in who was trying to kind of uh, tell them that they weren't adequate or they, they needed more than the gospel that they heard from Epaphras. And Paul said, no, you, you have the story. Don't, but, but the thing is you have to do is continue to keep growing and maturing. It's, it's such an easy thing. Once we know that we have our salvation, it's so easy to slack off. And I don't think people realize how much we need to continue and make this a priority of our life, that we stay so connected to his words that it keeps feeding our soul that we keep learning all what he wants from us, but all that he'll give us. So as we start this last chapter, we already did the first verse because we did it, we combined it with last week, but look at how he starts. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote. See, that these first couple verses, this is where I am sold out on, on verse by verse, and I'm sold out on study instead of read fast. Because you would miss so much, even when you start with the word devote. If you, if you um, see the word devote, what does that, what does that say to you? Um, do fast, do, um, you know... Devote means you have got to make it a priority. You have got to take the time. You have got to make a conscientious effort. Because have you ever started your day and it's been one of those busy days and all of a sudden you flop in bed at night and you're tired and you think, oh, my word, never once did I open my Bible today. I think we've all been there. And unfortunately, you know, that's not what devote means. And we could come up with all the excuses. Yeah, but we did this and yeah, we did that good thing. But, you know, you did not devote yourselves to prayer. And we've talked about that word. And I know that we have our prayer times. I know when I was a little girl, this is what I thought prayer was. At mealtime, this is what I prayed. Um, At bedtime, this is what I prayed. And when the minister said, let's pray, I would do that. I mean, that's what was in my mind. That's what I looked at prayer as. And I think a lot of us still in our minds think that prayer are those specific times when we shut our eyes and we talk or we listen to someone else. That's prayer. But prayer is so much more than that. That's why he said, devote yourself to prayer. Because, I mean, we none of us have, have, can, can have our Bibles open all the time. We've got things to do, responsibilities that need to be accomplished. We all have things. But that's not what prayer is. Enti- I mean, it's part of it. But it's also, well, look what we, look what we said last week. What he said, how about, uh, how about singing hymns or spiritual songs or psalms? Did you notice? I thought, as I went over that again this week, I thought, you know what? He just plain covered all the bases when it came to your style of music. Because, I mean, you know, with the psalms, he had the Christian reform all taken care of. With the psalter. When he had the hymns, he had the majority of us older, you know, who loved the hymns. But then he had spiritual songs. Because he, he, he probably knew that music would be always changing. And then he also put in there all that because then you would not have an excuse and say, but I don't like that kind of music. 
So he's saying whatever kind, whatever song, whatever music just goes right to your soul, what keeps reminding you of who he is and what he's done, that's why devoting yourself to prayer means you stay connected to him and you make a conscientious choice to make that happen. You devote, you work hard, you do whatever it takes, you prioritize, you make sure that you don't loosen that connection. Devote yourself. Think about it. Devote. The opposite of devote is slipshot or casual. Devote is serious. And so that's why he says, I want, this is what's necessary. You need to devote yourself to staying connected to him because when you disconnect, you are on that inner tube, down that, that river of life that's going to take you to a terrible place. And it could plop you right into a self-pity, a discouragement, a despair, a give up of hopeless. So he says this, as he's wrapping this up, he's telling these people, okay, now we've talked about this. Now this is what you need to do to keep your life right, to make sure that you're not easily swayed by, by different fads that come in or people that, that might have, uh, they might sound convincing, but that's not, that's not written in the indisputable. It's not written in there, and so, but it, they can be sound. They can sound so convincing, and if you are not connected, you're going to buy into that, and you're going to get easily swayed. So devote yourselves to take this seriously. That you stay connected because you need them bad. You can't do it without them. Oh, another thing that that I knew would be quite something this past weekend is the first time when I said to him, do you know that your salvation day, it has to start as the worst day of your life? <laughs> and they reacted exactly the way I thought they would. I said, no way can your salvation day turn into the best day of your life unless it starts as the worst day. As you see yourself the way you really are. And so that's why he says, I need you to keep going back to that, realizing, devote yourself to stay connected to me, that you can't do it, that what you once were, you don't want, you don't, you don't want that anymore. So being watchful, being watchful. Watch, why do we need to be watchful? I, I came up with two things. We have to be watchful. Because we have an enemy that just loves to dangle self in front of us. And because we, we are such leeches, such blood-sucking creatures that, that just get sucked to, you know, and I, we've talked about it in Proverbs. What, what are a couple things that you just know take you off balance? We've, we've mentioned this almost every week, I think. So he says, I need you to be watching for that because it can be so slick, it can be, it can be so sly, and it can, you can be thrown off before you know it. Be watching. That self just wants to keep coming back, that old nature. And again, where's your nature supposed to be? Where's your old nature supposed to be? Dead. It's supposed to be dead. So another thing you and I are to be watchful for. You and I, we are to be watching for what? To be devoted, connected to him, watching for, you know, the enemy who wants to pull you off course, your own self that wants to go your way, but also watching for what? This is a good one. The second come, you are watching for... And listening for the trumpet sound and the archangel shouting and the dead in Christ rising first, and we which are alive and remain caught it together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in there. Watch for that. So, and do you know that when you're devoted to staying connected to him, you will be watching? 
I love that line in Blessed Assurance when Fanny, you know, here she is so blind. She's so blind, and yet she's got such 20-20 vision spiritually. So she writes that perfect submission. In other words, I've accepted this because I've submitted to God's will. Perfect submission, all is mine, all is at rest. Because I and my Savior, we're happy and blessed. We're, 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 we're connected. And then when she writes this, 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 I thought, just makes me smile when she says, watching and waiting. Watching. I mean, she's blind, remember? But she's watching. And then she says, watching and waiting, looking above. Remember, that was in Colossians 2, also, where Paul said, it's time that we loosen our grip here and start starting to think and start to look and watch for our future, and thankful, and thankful. When you are devoted and connected to him, you're watching, you're watching for, for the enemy, and you're watching for Jesus coming. But he also said, be thankful. Paul, when he writes letters, I noticed he, he kind of, says the same thing. He might, he might say it a little different depending on his audience probably, but he pretty much has the basic message and warnings and instruction. So I want you to flip back just a couple letters to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4, it's just back. A, and in Philippians chapter 4, look what he says about, he uses the word thank. Too. He uses it also. Starting with verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You know, we've talked about that, that the word rejoice, the root word is joy. It's not happy. He knows that we're not going to be happy always. But when you're connected to Jesus, you can always rejoice because you always know he's in the middle of it all with a purpose for it all. What did we learn? For we can know, Paul says, we can know that in all things he's working for the good. So that's why when he writes the people of Philippi, he says, you, you and I, we, we can rejoice no matter what. So rejoice in the Lord. You're rejoicing in the Lord. You're not rejoicing in your circumstance. You're rejoicing in the Lord because you know he's in the middle. He's got a reason. He's got a purpose. So rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness. We've already talked about what gentleness means. That means a real, a real confident. Or you're really sure. You are confident. Let your, because if, if someone, that's why he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. When you are sure, when you are confident, you don't have to, fight and debate and you just know. And he says, when you are sure, that shows. So just make sure that people see that you are confident, that you believe this, that you are not slipshot, that you are so confident that this is true. And when they see that, he said, let that be evident because that's what people want. They, they want to be sure. There's so many people floundering nowadays. And you and I, we can make evident that we are sure of this. We don't have to flounder. So he says, make sure that your gentleness is evident to all. And then he makes this little sense. The Lord is near. Last week we sang the song, and he walks with me and he talks with me. Where was God in Genesis 3 when Satan was tempting Eve? Where was God? Right there. All she had to do was call out to him. When a temptation is dangled in front of us and when we feel a tendency to be overwhelmed and we feel the despair starting to come in and settle in, where's God? Right there. Right there. And waiting for you and I to do what? call out to him. Ask him for help. And he can't wait to give it to you. 
So, in other words, if you stay in that defeated condition, whose fault is it? It is your fault. It is my fault because the Lord is near. If you're finding out that you aren't rejoicing, you know, it's so, it's so easy to, to um, let our spiritual life go along with our regular life. But regular life is uncontrollable, and it's up and down all the time. But what he says is, I am near in the good times, and I'm in the bad times. It's, it's that song, I need you every hour in joy and in pain. You know, he wants us to know that he's near in all times because the, the danger is just as great when you don't go to him in your struggles. The danger is just, is just as great when you don't go to him when times are good. Because if you're not, if you don't stay connected to him when times are good, what are you going to, what's going to happen to you? You get, you get spiritually lazy. You get spiritually complacent. So... He said, the Lord is near in good times and in bad times. Do not be anxious about anything. See, and here, here again, these are the words you're looking for. You're looking for the words that don't give you an opportunity to put except for or yeah, but. Because that, this is a verse you would just love to put except for. Be do not be anxious. Another word for anxious, worry, fearful. Any other ones? Stress is a great one, yes. And what does he say? Do not be stressed about anything. See, there is no, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, but the, you don't know this person. That. No, Paul just says, do not Worry, be fearful, stressed, panicked about anything, but do this instead. Because if you are, if you get stressed, if you get out of control, if you get panicked, if you get fearful, if you get, if you get so down and discouraged and in the fit of self-pity and despair and you are just so down, what have you done? You've disconnected from your power source. You have disconnected. You have just shot your prayer life out of the box. And then you are on your own. And that's when we sink. So that's why he says, do not be anxious about anything. But instead, see, this to me is proof that prayer and petition are two different things because he, he, he put them both in there. So he says, instead of being anxious, I want you to pray. I want you to get reconnected. I want you to get back in tune with your power source. And petition and, yeah, ask. But again, I'm always going to remind you, your petitions, your asking should always be for what? Yes, we, and the reason why I think he's just expecting, that's why when he says ask and it'll be given, I think he's just assuming that we as his children are going to trust him. So he says, anytime you ask for my will, anytime you ask for what I, what I promised you, oh, I can't wait to give it to you. And if I see that you are seeking and you want to learn and you want to know my way, oh, believe me, you'll find it. And if I see that you're not giving up and you just keep knocking, I'll see to it that the door is open for you. But he says, by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, does this mean that we're just so thankful for this loss in our life? We are so thankful for this doctor's diagnosis. We are so thankful. No, of course not. But what does he say? Be thankful. 
thankful for what? Be thankful that you have a God that's just not dead, but that he's alive and you can talk to and he's listening and has got a plan for your life. Be thankful that you don't have to do it alone, that he's given you his very spirit to walk through this with you hand in hand. Be thankful that you don't have to weather this storm by yourself. See, that's why he says be thankful. And then look what he says in Philippians here. Look what will happen when you do it his way. And I think his letter here in Philippians and his letter to the people of Colossae, when he says devote yourselves to staying connected and you do it the way I tell you, look what's going to happen instead of worry and stress and panic and fear. Look what you're going to get instead. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, there's no other way you can describe it because naturally you should be in, your, in the condition and in the circumstance of your life. You should be panicked and fearful and nervous and stressed out. And instead, the peace of God comes over you because you trust him. And he will guard your heart and mind. Why does our heart and mind have to be guarded? Because where does it naturally want to go? Of course it wants to go our own way. And then we shake our fist. You could have, you should have. Why didn't you? This way, we need our heart and our mind. It needs to be guarded. Okay, now flip back to Colossians 4. And then did you notice how Paul, he, he is not a bit embarrassed or ashamed to say these next words. He's not a bit embarrassed to say, and, and pray for us too. While you are connected to God, because then, remember, this is an element of prayer, caring for others, bringing others like what we did when we started tonight. That is prayer also. And he's saying, I'm asking you that in your prayer time, when you're talking to God, would you, would you bring me up? Just like what I asked you last week for last weekend. It's just so wonderful to know that you can count on people that will be there with you, even though they're not actually there, but you know I mean, I had some notes even. Right before I went up, I had one, one gal that it seemed like she just knew right before I was going up. Well, I'm on my knees for you right now. It was, it was just unbelievable. It was such a powerful thing. And this is why when you come to the point, that's why, like, like with you, Lou, I'm so glad you brought that request up because you knew we would care for you. When you knew we would bring you before God's throne, and you knew you needed that. Paul knows he needs it. And so he boldly says, would you please pray for me? And look what he asked for. This is what's so beautiful. He said, would you pray that God may open a door for our message? And when he says our, he, he knows, I mean, Timothy could be there. Well, Timothy, we know Timothy is there. Luke could be there. Any one of these people that he mentions at the end could have been stopping by here and there. This was the, the nice thing about the kind of prison he was in now, even though he was connected to a soldier 24-7. He, he said, would you pray for me that, and I, I don't know exactly when Paul wrote this, whether he wrote Col Colossians first or Philippians first. I really never checked that out, but because he knows this so well. Remember in Philippians where he said, whatever state I'm in, I have just learned to be content because I've just learned that he can use me. 
But here he asks for prayer because he knows, because he said that in Romans 9, 10, and 11, don't ever underestimate that you are in battle with your own self. And sometimes when you're in an unfair situation, which he is, I mean, he's no criminal. He's in chains because of, of preaching the gospel. And when, when you're in chains for doing something right, your human brain is saying, this is right. This isn't fair. And Paul knows that every morning he's got to wake up and he's feeling that rotten chain and probably the breath of that guy sitting right next to him. And he wakes up and says, oh, here we go again. I'm going to go out there and preach. You know, that's so, you know, when, we, when we're stuck in a position in a ministry, and I dare say it, a ministry that we never expected to be in, sometimes it's so, so easy to think, no, I wanted a ministry, but not this. And it's so easy to maybe say, you know, I don't like this. And, and that's why Paul says, I don't want to ever go there. I, please pray that I will always stay content in where he puts me. In fact, if I'm supposed to be chained to this guy, maybe it's for him. I hope you don't mind these personal referrals, but I had so much happen this weekend. I had a sound guy. He was an older fella. He was, there was something about him that I just liked, and we just clicked. He clicked with me. And Saturday night, right before our Saturday night's program, I was talking to him, and I said, you know, I heard you mention that you were going to Florida with your daughter and you were taking your little dog. I said, I hope, I hope I'm not infringing on your business, but do you have a wife? I mean, that was gutsy, wasn't it? <laughs> but I just felt that I should ask him that. And all of a sudden the tears came to his eyes. And he said, I just lost her. And I immediately said, thank you, Holy Spirit. And so I put my arm around. I said, Chuck, I said, you know what? The Lord is going to show himself to you. You're going to find he is enough. You're going to find that he's going to walk with you and talk with you. And you're going to find, I know it's going to take a little while, but you're going to find that he's sufficient. that that undeserved favor that he keeps lavishing upon us is going to be enough. And, you know, Tom said this to me, too. He said, did you notice how, whether it's Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, he said, did you notice that he almost forgot to do his job because he was listening so much? And the reason I bring that up here is because you know, sometimes we think we're going for a certain reason or maybe for hundreds of ladies that were sitting there. The Lord loves Chuck so much that he could have brought Tom and I way up to Sault Ste. Marie for him. And sometimes I think we get so self-thinking that we think success has got to be in the big numbers or in the big thing uh, And the way that Chuck responded this weekend, I said to Tom when we were walking out, I said, Tom, if we came for Chuck, that was good enough for me. And I think this is what Paul wants us to be able to see, that pray that I will just do the work and leave the results up to him. And if I have to be chained to this goofball, if I've got to be chained to one Roman soldier after another, may I be able to deliver the message just to him 
if need be. That I don't get sidetracked thinking, oh, I should have a big church. I should be, I should be able to go to the Colossae church in person. I shouldn't have to be grounded here. You know, Lord, you never know where the Lord wants you and why. And so Paul says, please pray for me that no matter where I am, that I will be able to very confidently say the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He brings this up twice in this chapter. I mean, I think he wants them to see that, you know what, this isn't easy. That's why I'm asking for prayer. I'm, I need you. I need you that I keep my focus right, that I keep centered in, that I stay connected. That I don't ever disconnect thinking that this isn't fair for me. Pray that, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then he says, be wise. And I circled that because coming out from Proverbs, you and I, we should be a lot wiser than, the, than we were in September. And I don't know about you, but there was way so much in there that I'm going to have to be going over that a few more times this summer. Because I want to get wiser and wiser. And he says, I want you wise. I want you to be listening to wisdom and not folly. I want you to be listening to wisdom when you, when you are with outsiders. I want you to make sure that the Holy Spirit is showing you when to say something, when not to say something, when to be compassionate and kind. Remember, we're supposed to be clothed with compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility. He said, be wise because the, who are the outsiders? Who are the outsiders? It could be, it could be those that don't belong to that church. It could be the unbeliever. But it could also be the weak Christian that is that's so tied to the legalism and the disputable issues. You just remember in that 14th chapter, he says, You got to accept those. You got to make sure that, yes, that they do know the gospel, but when it comes to him change. Maybe they 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 don't understand about how the Spirit wants to change them and set them free. They're still hanging on to all the laws and the rules. He said, "Now be wise on how you treat those those outsiders." It was it was amazing. Sometimes some of the comments that I would get, and I just had to remember these things, and I'd say, "Okay, um, they just don't get it yet. Maybe next session." But you just gotta, you know. There were times you just wanted to. Some of the comments I'm thinking, "What book are you reading?" And then I'd say, no, but I'd keep that in mind because then in the next time I would just let the Lord help me address that. It's really neat when you got three days with people. So he's be wise that that when these outsiders that you just act right, that you don't that you don't club them over with your biggest Bible, that you don't that you don't have your finger in their face telling them how bad they are. Remember what we learned from Paul, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. Our job is to make sure that we show the love of Jesus, that they in turn will want to listen and want to hear more and learn more. 
But he says, be wise on how you deal with them, how, what you say, how you act, your tone. I still go back to that one. Remember that elder with those two kids that sat there in consistory, pregnant, sorry, forgiven by Christ. And yet this elder thought that he better make sure that they know how much shame they caused everybody. Can you imagine? That's why Paul says, be wise, won't you? That was the last thing that couple needed. That wasn't even true. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. You just never know where he's going to open a door for you. Remember my story about the lady in the banana section? I'm in Meyer and I'm in the banana section and she comes and hits my cart and I'm praying with a lady in the banana section in Meyer. I'm just, I'm just using that as examples because when, he, when Paul says make the most of every opportunity because we are here for him and he will make, he will open doors for us and opportunities for us to be able to tell our story. And what did Paul say about her? Are we qualified? Are we, what did he say? You're filled with goodness. You, you are filled you are filled with righteousness. You have the story. Don't say, yeah, but I don't know this person. I don't know that verse. He says, all you're responsible for is telling the story. Telling about Jesus and that he loves you and that he died for you and that he's got a plan for you. Make the most of every, every opportunity. And then he says, let your conversation be always Remember, remember just last week or the week before, he says, get rid of slander and gossip. I'm going to add a few. Negative and critical spirit. Whining and complaining. I go back to Romans 5 where he says, come on, you've been justified. What is your problem? So when you fall into this state, let him help you recall what's happened to you. Get rid of all that stuff. Let your conversation be always full, 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 full of grace. Stephen was full of grace. The reason he was full, and the results of being full of grace is you can let someone kill you for the cause of Christ, mind you, and still say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Be patient with them because, you see, they don't understand this. See, I want that. I want to be so full of grace and that's why I said to let your conversation be full of grace. And that's undeserved favor. Maybe they don't deserve. But again, you're reminded of the grace. Yeah, for you, you didn't deserve it either. I didn't either. Let your conversation be full of grace. Seasoned with salt. That's a good line, isn't it? See, if you don't like salt, then you don't get it. But if you like salt like I do, oh, my word, do I get it. See, I don't think any food tastes good without salt. I'm embarrassed to tell you how to put salt on. <laughs> if no one's looking, I'll lick my finger and go like this on a plate to make sure I get every little particle of salt on there. I do. I think salt makes everything taste better. 
And by liking salt that much, I think I understand what Paul is saying. Let your conversation taste good. Make Jesus taste good. I think Bible study gets such a bad rap sometimes. I think, I think a lot of people think Bible study is for old ladies who have nothing else to do. <laughs> you know, and Gus and Jack, I bet you could tell them different, right? It's not for just old ladies who don't know what else to do. But I think sometimes it's gotten a bad rap because we've made it kind of boring. Sometimes, sometimes I think that, you know, they in our approach, I think that's why he said, John, write a letter to Ephesus. They've lost their, their seasoning. They've lost their sparkle. They're getting boring. People, people are not, are gone. They're not going to be drawn to that. They're not making Jesus taste good. So he said, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Isn't that good to be able to, don't you want that, that if someone asks you a question, you'll have an answer? You know what, when I told you about the man that tried to trick, trip me up, but I, I got it. I knew what he was trying to do to me. And so I was so able to come back at him, even though full of grace, seasoned with salt, to be able to say, I might not have the answer to your question, but let me tell you what I do know. And what I'm finding out is the basic truth of what we know about Christ. That's enough. In our sharing. It's not enough that we just get our ticket to heaven and leave it. No, we got to continue this to mature and grow up. But as far as us sharing the gospel, that's, that's enough. And then the Holy Spirit, once they say yes to the gospel, they've got the Holy Spirit. He'll take it from there. Man, that's, that's good. We've got the answer. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Because he is the answer to every question, to every problem. And I'm not being, I'm not being uh, just Pollyanna here. I mean, that is true. He is the answer. Now, I'm not going to read these. I don't even know how to pronounce most of them. But what I want you to see as he talks about these people, like he did at the end of Romans, look how he described this first one. He is a dear brother. Now, they're not blood brothers. He said, He's a dear brother. We're part of the same family. He's a dear brother. He's a faithful minister. Now, sometimes you can read that fast and you think, well, minister, yep, he's the one that stands behind the pulpit. Yep, a minister even can be a missionary in a foreign country. We get this mindset of what we picture ministers to look look like. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know if if he uh, has umpteen years of schooling. I don't know if he preaches behind a pulpit. Paul just says. Man, he's been such a good team member because he was faithful minister. Ministry is right where he put you. Ministry is that door of opportunity that he opens, and you minister. You tell the story. 
I remember that lady in the banana section when she says, I'm dependent on you to show me purpose for my life. I said, that's too much pressure. Because she told me she woke up that morning and she was this close to just calling it quits. She said, but I got in the car and I started it up and before I even knew it, I was in Meyer parking lot. So I thought I'd walk in the door and the bananas, if you know Myers, right there in the front. And she recognized the way it was. And she bummed my cart. <laughs> my first impulse was, excuse me. <laughs> I didn't say that, but that was my thought. Oh, we are so pitiful. We are so pathetic when it comes to watch your first impulse. Hey, watch where you're going. All of a sudden, it didn't take much for me to realize she bumped into me on purpose. And that's what she dumped on me. She said, I know who you are. And she said, I'm dependent on you to show me that there's reason for me to keep living. And that's why I said, too much pressure. I said, I, I can't do that. And then I, look, I put my arm around her and I said, but I sure can lead you to the one who can. See, there's the answer for everyone, isn't it? I don't have that. I don't have that kind of know-how. I don't have that kind of power. That's why it's so important that we are between these two covers and we learn the undisputable, the non-negotiable. And because we believe it and we're so confident and sure of it, that in the banana section, I can tell a lady, he can give you purpose for living. I talked to her, I prayed with her. I just wish, at some of my stories here, I just wish you could see the difference when they come and when they leave, if they're willing to hear. Now, if they're not willing to hear, they're going to go out the same way they left, just like the rich young ruler. But if they come and they want to hear and they're desperate enough, that was another word I used all weekend, are you desperate enough? He wants you desperate for him. She was desperate. And so she listened. And when she left, oh my goodness. So faithful minister. Look, I didn't have a stage. I didn't have, you know, a singing stage. I, I wasn't in a church. I wasn't even behind this podium at a Bible study. Door of opportunity. Are you going to be a faithful minister? Because he said that our conversation can be full of great season with salt and we'll have the answer for every question that someone asks. Fellow servant. I love the way Paul just says, you know what? We're all in this together. I got a team here. I mean, I've said it over and over again. You know, sometimes people don't get the recognition because sometimes the behind-the-scenes people are not even, people don't even know what they're doing. But Paul knows, and he says, every spiritual gift is the same. Remember last week when we talked about the, the lady in the ladies' room? She's going to hear the same words that Billy Graham heard, the same words that Paul heard, because she was willing to be a fellow servant in the Lord. He says it again down, down in verse 11, my fellow workers. I love the way he says workers too because he says, come on, 
get up and do something. Even if it means you can't get out and do what you used to do. Get up and get your mind off yourself. And even if he brings people to your mind that you can pray to or send a note to or call up. Oh, if you, if you ask him to open a door of opportunity, he will. But I, I love the way Paul, when he's describing his team, he's a fellow worker. This is work. But it's the kind of work that is the kind of work that we're going to do in the new heaven and the new earth. It's the kind of work that Adam and Eve did in Genesis 1 and 2. It's not, it's not the kind of work that, that you only do it for a paycheck. But you do it for the Lord. It's a whole different kind of work. A fellow worker. And then he says this in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you. Yeah, yeah, he's one of you. He's the one that brought this message to this church. But you know what? He's not on any pedestal either. He's one of you. We're all in this together because you know what? Once we were all lost. We were all black as coal on the inside. Even though maybe some of us committed sins that, that in the world's eyes maybe looked worse. In the Lord's eyes, sin is sin. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So when he says, he's one of you. We all stood at the cross the same way. He's also a servant of Christ Jesus. And then look, this is how much he loves you. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Now, why do you think the word wrestling is in there? What story, what story do, comes to your mind when you think of wrestling? Jacob, of course. You know, Jacob, Jacob was saved at Bethel. But as, you know, he got a little cocky. And so when he was on his way back and he was going to meet Esau, oh, the Lord knew that they needed, he and Jacob had to wrestle because God had to wrestle with Jacob to break him of what? Himself. That's right. And so Epaphras is wrestling in prayer. He is saying, this is, this is not easy. I have got, there's things that I want, and I know things that they want, but I'm wrestling because the bottom line, this is what's necessary for all of us. That you may, and I'm sure he's including himself, Epaphras, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. You've got to wrestle because it is going to be work because you are at war with your old nature. And if your new nature does not win, you will not become mature. You will not want God's will. You'll want your own. You'll stay babies. You'll be whining and complaining and falling over because you can't walk good. And you certainly won't be fully assured. You'll be doubting all over the place. So he's closing his letter by saying, do you realize how great, how wonderful it is to have a man just like you who knows that he was once lost too, but now Christ has given him such a love and an opportunity to serve you and to show you that he wrestles in prayer that you all stay connected so that you'll continue to grow and mature and want God's will. 
and that you're singing Blessed Assurance all day long. I love the way he ends. And I thought, what a great way to end the year. He ends by saying, I, Paul, I'm writing this greeting with my own hand. Now, that must have been something for him to say it. So he's trying to show them, you mean that much to me. The team means that much to me. That I am not just um, dictating. I'm writing this with my own hand. Because I want you to know how much this means to me. And then he says this again. Remember my chains. Now why would he say that again? Remember. Life doesn't always go the way we want it. Sometimes you are going to struggle. Sometimes you're going to have trials of many kinds. Sometimes it's going to feel like you're imprisoned. Sometimes you're going to wake up every morning and you're going to say, oh, I have to deal with this again. Oh, it wasn't a bad dream. I keep remembering the letter to Smyrna. When he said to John, write to Smyrna, because this church, they just have one suffering after another. And maybe that's you. Again, Paul, Paul's had one suffering after another. And so he's saying, I'm just reminding you that you can have a tough life. Life can go a different direction than what you thought. And it does feel like you're enchained. You know what he said to Smyrna? These chains might last till you die. It might not ever change. But what he says to Smyrna is, is believe me, I'll make it worth your while. You'll hear a well done like you can't believe. You'll hear a welcome home like you've never heard before. You'll hear me say, boy, did I give you a tough a work to do. Thank you. So I think when he says, remember my chains, he's saying, just know that it wasn't the way I figured it. It probably isn't going to go the way you figure it. But then look how he ends. Grace. Grace. That's his favorite word because he knows what that grace did for him. That undeserved favor saved him. That grace that is continuously being lavished upon him to be able to continue working at this clinging, staying connected, taking the time and the effort and the work to desire it because he's desperate for it. All that, all that is in the definition of grace. He said, you stay full of grace. That word grace, he said, grace be with you. He's pretty much saying, you know what? If grace is with you, you're going to be okay. What a great way to end. If grace stays with you, if you let his grace keep covering you and you keep filling yourself with his grace, that undeserved favor. You keep filling yourself with him. You keep working at this and taking it seriously. He's saying, if grace is with you, I'm not going to have to write you another letter because you're going to be fine. And I say the same thing to you. We stay 
connected with his grace. We're going to be fine. But it will also want to keep you going to want to learn more too. So, great year, everybody. Thanks for being a faithful servant and worker. See you this summer. <laughs>